This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And Court, you talk about the best of all worlds here. Zupan's has been in Portland for since 1975. That's through a lot. And, you know, there are three stores now, and it's a great place to celebrate our local food culture at Zupan's. They, ca- they carry just about every great brand of food. They have uh, chefs, chefs working with them locally. And um, if you get into Zupan's, you're going to experience not only that, but some of the best foods from around the world. For instance, they have a balsamic uh, seminar in Cellar Z this weekend. Those things are awesome, and uh, the Seller Z is great. If you look, if you subscribe to Zupans, what happens, Court? Well, you can find out about, uh, obviously, uh, sales and, and discounts taking place at your local Zupans, but you can find out about these great events taking place either at the Seller Z or at your local Zupans, whether they be a balsamic tasting event, or, you know, they've also got the uh, floral wine and design. Yeah, there's nothing better than that. Who, who, what is nicer than drinking wine and learning how to do great flower floral arrangements with excellent product absolutely and we should also point out we've uh, we've been uh, talking about this pretty much every time we we uh, get around a holiday we talk about let, letting zupans uh, take some of the heavy lifting away from you so you can celebrate spring spring holiday ordering underway whether it be passover or easter fresh and fully prayer pre- fresh and fully prepared dishes available to you you can reserve online and then just go pick up in your local zupans yeah that's a great idea and it is very helpful and very delicious this is not just and this is this is food prepared by professionals who've uh, been around the block a few times so um zupans markets three locations and that would be west burnside mcadam lake oswego and of course we recommend people always visit where zupans.com All right, here it is. Time once again. It is Portland's Food Scene Podcast right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm co-host, Court Johnson. Ready to jump out of town. I'm a little jealous, but I'm going to be leapfrogging you next month. Yeah, uh, we're heading to Mexico for the first time uh, since the pandemic. We, we actually had uh, a trip planned down to our favorite spot in Mexico, um, it would have been, I guess, two weeks after the pandemic pandemic hit. I'm doing that in quotation marks because, you know, mm-hmm. it was really hitting in January and we pretended it didn't exist until until March. Well, there wasn't a real case in the U.S. until late February, early March. Allegedly. Yeah, well, that's true. I think I had it. I was a case. And you yeah. couldn't test. You you make a good point. But, but it really became a thing last week on my Facebook page feed memories there were all uh, they were actually the week before um when you know for me i had to cancel our trip to spain with uh 16 people yeah that's right Not yeah fun. so we're, we're headed down to uh, a little uh it's basically a place where uh middle class mexican families go on vacation um we've been going there for years called barra de navidad it's uh, you know you kind of have to look it up but uh we're, we're pretty excited about that we'll be uh, trying to eat as authentically as we can, but it's so it, it, even even though it's not super touristy, we found that they still try to cater to us gringos coming down. So um, pastas and and pizzas is what we're probably going to eat a lot of. You're you may be surprised by the time you get down there if this is your po- first post pandemic visit. There may be more people down there than you recall because people are going everywhere now. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, we're my my in laws are already down there, and they said it's already been a, a pretty busy season. So yeah. um, we shall see. I'm looking forward to obviously the you know the the food, but uh, just the, the escape because weather has been crazy. Yeah, and it's springtime time for Washington to come to the Oregon coast and leave their beer cans and cigarette butts. <laughs> yeah. It's the only time I ever see them. It's just unbelievable. And Mm. I may be wrong that it's Washington spring break, but I've seen a lot of 
Washington license plates down here. And, well, uh, I, I think Washington hits after Oregon. Oregon's is next week, and then and then uh, Washington follows. But I, I, who, who knows? It may depend on on the. Uh, all right. District, so. Well, I'm just being anecdotal. I saw some beer cans, which sure. I never see on our beaches. And then I went, yeah, no, I went to a website to look to see if it was Washington spring break. And I think I saw, you know, you had to navigate calendars, but right. at least in some district it was. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I it, love it, the people from Washington. They're great. I have some of my best friends are from Washington, but it's just a thing. Um, generally in there are some bad actors that's all and we don't have that when this Oregon spring break there might be a lot of people down here and that would mean there should be more beer cans and they're not right so anyway I'm I'm glad you're going away Um, it's nice with this kind of we had a tease for a few days of some sun and then now it's freezing out there this morning so here we go again but yeah but springtime, which is really nice. Here is the, uh, I don't know what we would call this, the irony, or just maybe it's the great segue, because it was a year ago where you began returning on your trips uh, as part of Portland Food Adventures International, and I took over the interviewing duties. And because of that, we are bringing back a, a classic episode from almost a year ago, May of 2022, in a conversation I had with Bill Oakley, who is uh, quickly becoming not just a, a name within the Portland food scene, but um, nationally. Um, were you aware of Bill before my conversation with him a year ago? No, I was not. And I had not seen him on Instagram. Now I see him quite often since I have been following him. And it's I find it entertaining. He's, he's championing the f- fast food world and, and the junk food world. Yeah, quite a bit. Bill Oakley, it's an interesting story. He was a a Simpsons writer initially, and then he actually became the showrunner, executive producer for for, uh, The Simpsons for a bunch of years, kind of followed in the footsteps of Conan O'Brien out of Harvard. So he's an East Coast guy, was in L.A. for a bunch of years, and then uh, 13 years ago, I guess now 14, relocated to, uh, to Portland and has really been championing uh, the Portland, you know, the food carts, kind of to your point, the, the maybe the the fast food and the, the snack food type things. Um, but there's an episode of The Simpsons that involved steam ham. And so he created what's called the Steamed Ham Society, which is a uh, kind of a club that you can sign up via his Patreon account um, that really gets into the, you know, different food scenes and, and whatnot. And we had a really great conversation with him. So we're going to bring that back, Chris, um, as a classic episode for those that might have missed it, learn more about Bill, what brought him here. I covered a lot of it, um, but uh, really get into kind of the the psyche of of a comedy writer now becoming kind of this food guy, which is I think is, is a a very big right at the fork, right with a little bit of Portland perspective in the in the mix too, yep. which I think is great. Absolutely. So from uh, May of 2022, this is episode 313, Bill Oakley and his Steamed Ham Society. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers and local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupans Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with Right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles, and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. 
stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. And by... In Oregon, flavor is not just about food, but about character, freshness, and sustaining this beautiful place. Our fishermen continue to work hard to bring that flavor to all families who care about good food and healthy eating. Oregon Dungeness Crab, the flavor of Oregon. Yeah, so uh, I I appreciate this. Um, I got to say, I've I've been a follower of yours for a while, and I can't remember if it was on Instagram or on on Twitter, Um, but your Santa Fe chicken sandwich uh, video review. Yes that that went viral a couple of months ago was really where I was just like, wait, it actually did two things. I'm like, damn, this is really funny. But I, then I was like, oh, shoot, Bill's, Bill's here in Portland. I, I don't think I'd ever put together that, that you were living here in Portland. And so it seemed just kind of obvious that uh, a, uh, a podcast that we do about the Portland food scene would make sense to have a guy here that's having his own experience with the, uh, the Portland food scene. And you're doing oh, yeah. it in probably the most unique way where you're kind of highlighting – I think the stuff that people don't necessarily always think about when they think about the the Portland food scene. Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, I, I should say I've lived here for 13 years uh, and I do, I am a, I'm very interested in food uh, of every type, uh, but it tends to be a more, I would, it tends to be less upscale than a lot of stuff that gets a lot of coverage in Portland. Like I tend to, what, what people uh, describe as comfort food, I guess, generally food that you don't need a knife and fork for tacos, pizza, burgers, French fries, onion rings, uh, banh mi, sushi, things like that. In general, th- those are the kind of things that I tend to eat. And I also, uh, not only is it just meals, it's also snack foods and stuff as well. Um, and I cover a lot of that on my Instagram. Uh, and I also do video. I do, I do not just, I do photos, I do stuff. And I also do videos, funny videos like the one you described, which are generally for a wider audience than just Portland. So they're often about like national fast food chains like you described the carl's jr thing or the jack-in-the-box one i did recently too right yeah and and i think it would probably be important at least at least for our audience to to realize why your story so fascinates me because the fact that bill oakley is becoming known to some people today as a food influencer that we that we see you showing up on the uh fingers crossed you like that yeah well fingers crossed and in quotation marks (laughs) because i i get a kick out of the influencer influencer uh term even, even though it's you know there's some reality to it um, but that's that's really not your background, uh, which is what I just find so fascinating is that you're a comedy writer. You're, you you know, you know you write in, write in Hollywood, and you've written some on some of the greatest shows of all time, including one of my favorites, The Simpsons. Um, so so tell me this: so you grew up on the East Coast, Maryland? Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Was was the food the way you're approaching it now? The snack foods, the the fast foods, the tacos, the the you know, the stuff you kind of hold in your hands. Does this date back to your, to your, you know, your growing up in Maryland and, and your time at Harvard? Cause, cause that doesn't sound like a very Harvard thing to do to be, you know, in love no, with fast food. I was de- the, the, my fascination come, comes from the fact that I was so deprived of it for all those years. I didn't get to have very much fast food at all until I, I was in my late twenties. Like when, when I grew up in Maryland, we lived in the country. And this was back in the 70s before there was fast food everywhere. Like the nearest McDonald's was in Baltimore or Washington, D.C., and it was an hour drive. So my parents would take me once a year on my birthday, maybe. So I think that's part of why I was so fascinated with it. Um, and uh, even when in high school, both in high school and at Harvard, there's no fast food anywhere. You got to, you know, you got to take the subway three stops away to get to the McDonald's or whatever. So like that, like I, I think that it's one of those things also like video games, which I also never had until I was in my twenties um, right. is another thing that I was deprived of that now I'm overcompensating for, I think is, is probably a good way to psychoanalyze it. It's, it's interesting you say that. Cause I, I think that the change, whether it was, you know, I, I grew up in Utah where um, very similarly, the town I grew up in didn't have any fast food until probably the early nineties, maybe mid nineties when we got our first McDonald's. And that was, that was a pretty big deal. And so when my parents took us to McDonald's and of course there were eight kids in my family, so we didn't do this very often. Um, it, it was a pretty, pretty big deal, but, but I feel like by the nineties where it, every, every town seemed to start having a yeah. McDonald's where going down and, and, you know, getting a couple of Big Macs just wasn't a, as big of a deal anymore. Um, so that's interesting. I, so, so the depravity of not having that in your life at a younger age is kind of maybe your catalyst into it or your fascination with it. 
I, I would I'd has, I would speculate that that's probably the reason. Uh, it's also, I mean, I like that kind of food. And it's also, let's just, I want to make it clear, I'm not exclusively all about fast food chains. I realize that they have their various problems, both in labor and supply issues and climate change and so forth. Sure. And what I really like is actually the stuff, I mean, I like that stuff. I do like it quite a bit. And I seek out the new things. But I also like in Portland, for example, we have a hundred places that make better burgers than any fast food chain. Uh, and the same with the pizza and the same with the tacos and stuff. So I actually spent a lot of time seeking out local places that do that kind of thing as well. Um, and I've, you know, I've been, I did the article, I did the burger. When we did the burger ranking, I was part of the team at Portland Monthly that did the, the ranking of the best 20 burgers in Portland and other things like Eater PDX. We did the thing about my favorite places to eat. So yeah, I do like that. I like that type of food in general. Um, and I do like, I, I'm fascinated by fast food chains. It's true. But I also like the food, I, the elevated versions of the food that you can find all over this town. Certainly. Um, I, I, I've got a lot of questions on this, but I, I want to connect some, some some threads here before before we really dive into uh, sure. what you're currently doing. I'm, I'm fascinated by the uh, the steamed ham society uh, launch. Thank you. Um, from just a couple of weeks ago, um, a, as a fan of of animation and The Simpsons specifically, so I mentioned that you were a writer and you've been a writer on a bunch of different shows. Can you explain? And it's mainly just for me, but I think our audience might be interested in it. That when you're a showrunner, because you were the showrunner for The Simpsons for a, a couple of years years what is that exactly does that mean like you're I, I obviously i would assume that you're in charge of everything but yeah it's different than a director because i think oftentimes we think of director of a movie they're the ones in charge but i know animated series are completely different because you're working on 22 24 episodes in a season and it goes well beyond what we kind of think of as just kind of the outsider looking at at uh, what you guys do yeah i should say for people uh, who aren't that familiar with the simpsons that uh my all what you're describing, that was all done with my partner, Josh Weinstein. We were writing partners for a long time, my best friend from high school. Um, we were on The Simpsons for seven years back in the 90s, gradually rising through the ranks to become the showrunners in season seven and eight. And what you're describing, yes, the showrunner is, it's kind of like being the producer and director and head writer of a movie all at the same time. Like there's a staff of people, but you make all the decisions. Like the, the, everything that happens in, in general is, is your decision. Like who's going to write this script? What stories are we going to tell? You direct the actors. You supervise the editing, the sound mixing, the animation, all that stuff. So you're in, you are in charge of everything. Um, but obviously you have a staff of hundreds of people uh, to help execute those things. And you did this, uh, and maybe I'm wrong on this. It feels to me at a relatively young age, you were in your late twenties, early thirties, yeah. or maybe all in yeah, your twenties. We started, that, I think when we were 29. Yeah. Is that, is that common to be uh, showrunners at that age or was that kind of unique? I think it was less common in those days. It's just, I think what part of that we lucked out to a large extent because we, the people who were ahead of us on the totem pole all left like Conan O'Brien. He would, he would have been the next showrunner, but then he got drafted to be a talk show, famous talk show right. host. So yeah. he left. And so we were the most, by, after having been there for like a year and a half, we were the most senior people on the show. And I think it was a lucky, it was a lucky break, a series of lucky breaks that allowed us to take over that position. But we were also very passionate about the show too. So we had a lot of things we wanted to do. Uh, so I think that helped as well. Um, did, did, uh, so did you work with, I was trying to do it in yeah. the math in my head. Did you work with Conan O'Brien when he was there? Yes. Did you overlap in any way? Yeah, well, we both we worked. First of all, we were on the Harvard Lampoon together when, oh, when right. he was a yeah. senior and I was a freshman. And then we also, yeah, we overlapped for about a year and a half uh, there. And there was a period where Conan and me and Josh and one other guy, Dan, were the only employees of the show. Where when all the old guys had left and the new guys had not come in yet for about two months, we were the only writers on the show, and it was really fun. Wow, um, I, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, there's probably some stories to tell there, but that's yeah. not what we're, we're here to, to talk about. Um, so uh, you mentioned the Harvard Lampoon. He was he was there at the Harvard Lampoon. You were the vice president of the Harvard Lampoon. What? Yes. Is that what was that what your title? I, I'm basing all of this bill, by the way, off of your Wikipedia, which is yeah, very thorough. In a while, <laughs> it's very, it's very thorough. thorough for up for a certain point. Yes. But what I found really interesting, though, is that the there's this line in here, and you've probably seen this. Both you and Josh have this line about some of the things you did in college. I think you went to separate universities, though, correct? Mm-hmm. You didn't go to college together. But both of you have this line. Both of them were unemployed for a long period. We, so that's I'm, right. 
So it's, okay, so I guess it's true. I wasn't sure if that was something you were, you added in or if somebody just in the know added that in. Um, no, we anyway, had about uh, a four-year period of being uh, unemployed to the point that we were just about to give up before we finally got our, our, our we finally wrote another one last sample script that was really popular and kind of catapulted us from uh, from being unemployed and broke to getting a job on The Simpsons within about just a couple months. Very nice. Uh, so, what brought you to what brought you to Portland? You know, it's I lived in LA for like twenty years, and what happened was that LA is a difficult. There's a lot of things wrong with Los Angeles, although I love, let me say, I, I like the sunlight and I like the beach. Other things I don't like so much. Uh, it was basically when we had our third child, uh, it became, it's so expensive to raise children in LA. The public schools are lousy. The traffic, taking one child to one school and then coming back takes an hour. Imagine that we're three, you know, the traffic is so bad. And we were like, this lifestyle is not for us. We should move somewhere where we, um, where we can raise our children like a normal place. And we kind of looked around. We had some friends who had moved to Portland in the early 90s who were always evangelizing it. And we came and visited and loved it and you know, did, did our research and decided this was a great place you know, to, to raise the kids. It's not like LA, you can't let your kids want. Like here, when our kids were six-year-old, they could go to Fred Meyer by themselves, you know? And it's like, I, realize, I don't know. I realize maybe that's a little bit of a stretch these days, but like it, it definitely had a vibe, a, a much more small towny vibe um, where like kids, you don't, the kids be go to the playground by itself when it's seven or eight, you know, where that would never happen in LA. And I know maybe it doesn't even happen today in Portland, but in 2010 it did. And I would have to assume that as, you know, obviously we saw an acceleration of it during the pandemic where the working remotely or not having to be in the office has kind of really changed everything, but you moving up here. So that would have been what, 2008, 2009. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, like working remotely, was that kind of foreign for your line of work being a, a, a writer? Yes. It was a total freak show. Uh, people thought that I was a freak. Uh, and it, it definitely was not easy and hasn't, it, it hasn't, it never is quite that easy because people had this obsession with writer's rooms that you had to have a writer's room. Executives in particular have this obsession with writer's rooms, which are vastly overrated. Like, you know, easily half the stuff that you saw on the Simpsons did not come from the room. It came from one person sitting and writing alone, you know, and, and then it was maybe fixed up in the writer's room, but you don't need a writer's room all day long every day, but on contrary to the opinion of, of people making these decisions. So yes, it was weird. Uh, I did a lot of work over Skype on various things. People back when Skype was kind of the gold the standard and thing. Yep. Yeah. And, yep. and uh, I also had to fly to LA frequently. I had to turn down a lot of jobs that required that insisted I moved to LA and I said no. Um, and so uh, during the pandemic, and also before the pandemic, already slightly before the pandemic, I was working on the Matt Groening show Disenchantment on Netflix uh, by Skype, and it was working really well. And I was only going down there maybe two, I was going there two days every other week. Uh, but during the pandemic, I began to get job offers that they didn't even ask me to move to LA. It was all on Zoom. And so far, that has been a lot of that, especially because I work in animation. Uh, there's no need to, there's no stage or anything. And like, the places I would say are happy to not have to pay $15,000 a month for office space for people to work. You know, the a virtual writer's room works pretty much just as well as a regular writer's room. And so I have been doing uh, a lot more of that. Uh, and yes, the pandemic zoom, nobody had even heard of zoom. Most people had never heard of zoom in right. early, in early 2020. And now it's the gold standard for all this stuff. So I, yes, it, that changed things. Definitely. I, I've, I've really been obsessing the last little bit and I don't know why my brain goes here. Cause you know, it's, I, I, it's a reality that will never exist. This idea of being able to go back in time and invest in different companies, you know, like zoom or, and, or, you know, may, maybe Tesla, but definitely Bitcoin. I don't know if you've seen how much Bitcoin is these days, yeah. Bill, but like, I, I, I actually had an opportunity to buy some. I'm like, Oh, that's dumb. I don't understand it. So I'm not, I'm not going to spend any sort of money in it. But, um, I found that if I had spent even just 500 bucks, when it started, we'd be millionaires, Bill. Oh man, I should have done that too. I guess I should yeah, have done that too. <laughs> I guess, that's my that's my point on Zoom. Um, is just the yeah that like it's it is kind of the that is the standard, and um, they've certainly figured it out. We should point out that like while I think primary your your um, your resume would would include animated uh, TV series and whatnot, you you have worked in live action, and and in fact you you wrote the was it the entire third season of Portlandia. I didn't write it all by myself. I was a writer on well, the show. Well, you were a writer, has yeah. Fred and, Fred and Carrie and the director, head writer, John Kreisel, 
and I was the other, or the fourth person there. Yeah. So yes, I, I did. I did work on Portlandia. I worked there on the second season briefly as well, uh, and I worked on that episode, the Brunch Village episode. So that's something that happened. You were you were probably in Portland by that point, and yes. was able yes. able to kind of have more of the the person to person collaboration going on as opposed to working remotely, which you had been exactly. Doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I guess you're, so your move to Portland, it was less about the dream of the nineties as Portlandia likes to push, but more of, well, I guess maybe the dream of the nineties in the sense, raise your kids in for that, uh, dream of the nineties or eighties or seventies that we all kind of grew up with where they could, you know, wander their, wander the streets without, uh, yes, exactly. Where your kid, where your kid would go out to play at, at age eight in the morning and come back for dinner at night when the streetlights came on. Uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly it, like that, but it was far closer than you'd get in Los Angeles or any other big city. I, I'm sure people of our generation, uh, Bill, uh, like I, I tell my kids, I've got a, a 17 year old, uh, b- both daughters, 17 and a 14 year old daughter. And I, I tell them like in the summer, especially I would leave basically after breakfast, waking up whenever that was. And I wouldn't come home until I heard my mom yelling my name that it was dinner time to come home. And, and this, this idea of just wandering and just doing whatever just baffles kids these days but it sounds to some degree that's what you were searching for for your own kids precisely i mean and and uh i think it worked out extremely well uh you know i like uh, today obviously we have cell phones and so forth so the child is more in touch like back right. then your parents didn't know where you were all day you could be gone and certainly on during in high school when i was out on saturday nights and friday nights my parents generally didn't ask where i was going and generally didn't know where i was going <laughs> as long as i was home before they woke up that was pretty right. much tolerable Yep. Definitely so. So let's talk about this move um into into becoming the quote unquote fast food influencer or junk food influencer or just generally food influencer that you become. Um and and it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, around 2018, 2017 is when you started doing the, the yeah, reviews and, and videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what prompted that? What was that? What was the catalyst for that? You know, I've always been. I should say, by the way, this remains. This is my hobby. I still have to make all my money doing TV. Sure. <laughs> Although maybe that will change. That will change because TV is in a very annoying business that never that has gotten only more annoying. Right. Um, so, and being an quote unquote influencer is a lot more fun. Um, so, okay. So, what happened is I've always, as as we've discussed in, in our preamble here, I've always been interested in these these things. I've always had opinions about them. I would share them with my family and my friends. Say that did you try the Arch Deluxe? You got to try the McDLT. That's the exciting new thing. Did you see those Cheetos? That flame and hot Cool Ranch Cheetos? That kind of thing. So I would uh, I was posting those opinions on Twitter in general. And then what happened in 2018 was uh, there was a turning point where it was McDonald's, the big day in McDonald's history where they in, they stopped having frozen hamburgers for quarter pounders and started using fresh beef. And I went to try them out. I was just going to tweet some photos of it. And then I was like, well, what if I did a video? And so I just did this video, the extremely primitive video where I didn't even know how to paste three shots together. It took me like four hours. And, right. and so I put it on Instagram also where I only had like 70 followers and it got a lot of attention. Uh, it got attention from McDonald's who said McDonald's Twitter account, which was like, Hey, congratulations on your new career as a food blogger. And also from the head chef at McDonald's who really liked it. And my review wasn't even that positive, but I was like, I should, um, maybe I'll keep doing this. And then I kept, I basically kept doing it and it, it only got more and more attention as time went on. And then I added additional facets to it. Like I added the, the award show, the end of the year, there's an award show that I have every year on my Instagram called the steamies based on the steam jams. Everyone just say everyone who doesn't watch the Simpsons, there's a very famous piece of comedy from the Simpsons that is known as steamed hams, which is a segment that I actually happened to write from an episode uh, called 22 short films about Springfield, um, which is what we're referring to when we say steamed hams. <laughs> this makes that clear right. to people. Um, so uh, I, I, capitalize on that a lot of the things i do are named after steam steamies the steamies are an awards show that i do on my instagram every year with uh, you know talking get, awarding the best fast food burrito the, the best corn chip the best overseas candy and i usually get some sort of celebrity of some caliber to present the award and it's only a minute long each segment so i do those uh, we're coming up on our fifth annual steamy awards this year um and so that thing that i've had additional facets to have sort of sprung out of that over the years like I got asked to be on TV shows. I got, and now I'm, I'm on the show on history channel called the food that built America. And, and, and I'm a, considered an expert on various fast food items. And I also appear on 
other shows, other podcasts and things. And, and, I, and then I get asked to do things like these things, like Eater, as I said, Eater PDX did a thing about my favorite places to eat in Portland. I was on the Portland monthly team seeking out the best hamburgers uh, in town and things like that. So it, it has expanded uh, over time to become certainly more time consuming, but also more fun, having more facets um, and, and not also has expanded way beyond fast food into all sorts of other food and a lot of local Portland stuff as well. Yeah, actually, I, I saw this morning as I opened up my Instagram, um, you had uh, posted in your stories some of the snacks that I don't know if you I, I can't remember if you had already tried them or were about to. And one, one of the things I keep seeing, Bill, is I, I see all this all the places you're going, some of the things you're eating. And oftentimes when you, when you review like a sandwich, you're getting one for you and one for me. Um, <laughs> that's on that. Uh, Those are, that's a special line of videos. I do that. They call them Bob Ross style videos. Yep. Uh, which I love. They, they, I do those once every month or two um, where I, I have a real calm, PBS style um, <laughs> vibe to them. And I talk yeah. about a fast food item. It's very sincere. They weren't even meant to be that funny, but the sincerity I think people find hilarious. Yeah, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, the the Santa Fe chicken one that you ended up doing again, that was the one that caught my attention. I, I think uh, Patton Oswalt shared it. Yeah, and, yeah, and and I so that I saw it, and I'm like, and, and I watched it just over and over again because of just your dry dry delivery on it, but the sincerity that's there, Bill. Um, but it People sounds. Like yeah, I, I, I think if I think I saw you talk about how you actually had tried to go to Arby's, but the Arby's closest to you had that's closed, right. and you couldn't and you couldn't do it. They didn't have the sandwich anymore. So uh-huh. I was like, I, I want to do a video. I got a couple hours. I want to do a video. What am I going to do? Well, I always liked the sandwich. And that was, yes, it was pure right. serendipity. Um, but people, I think people, there's a lot of people who like the calm, who like calm stuff. There's so much frantic yeah. stuff on the internet right. uh, that, that the calmness of those and the Bob Ross, it's obviously the secret to Bob Ross's success to some degree is the calm soothingness of it. So I do one of those every month or every six weeks um, in that, PBS kind of style. Yeah, it, it de- definitely grabbed my my attention. Um, so explain to me the um, and, and I think you you might not even have the best answer for it. And I and I can't remember what publication coined this term for you. The Gordon Ramsay of fast food uh, is, is yes. what you've been described <laughs> as. Uh, which is you know I, I I guess that's a compliment, right? Because yeah, Gordon Ramsay's really great. But I, I don't quite understand it because you're not a you're not a chef. No, it's just that I'm a I'm a harsh critic. I think okay. it's the thing that like people gener- people tend to like my 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 uh, bad reviews much better. Uh, they, but they, um, they like the soothing ones too. So there's a sure. th- anyway. But the bad reviews always get a lot of people find them funny. So um, I, I don't I don't seek out bad stuff, but I happen to happen upon it from time to time. I think the Gordon Ramsay, the fact that Gordon Ramsay and you know Simon Cowell on American Idol back in the day, sure. Sure. someone who gives you the, who, who lays it on the line, <laughs> tells it like it is, no matter how harsh the truth may be, that's what they mean when they say the Gordon Ramsay of fast food. Gotcha. Okay, so I, so almost kind of to your point, if they had said the um, the uh, Simon Cowell of fast Simon food, Cowell yes. of fast food, then it, that's the, be the same thing. connection there. Um, so how do you go about choosing? Um, what what you're going to review is it just kind of do you have a running list of things you need to get to or is it just kind of spur of the moment kind of kind of like the chicken santa fe sandwich it's both honestly uh it is a thing where uh it depends sometimes there's a great deal of public interest in some item like there was at the launch of the popeye's chicken sandwich or there is upon the return the imminent return of the taco bell mexican pizza where i know like people you just see it there's there's a buzz about it there's a buzz online that's then I take advantage of that. Other times it's just a new item because you know there's a number of websites that are from the for the fast food business that say what new items are launching. Sometimes it's for a new item, and sometimes it's just for something I personally want to do. That you know, like the Five Guys hot dog. That's not that's neither it's neither timely nor were people asking for it, but it's just something I want to try. I, I mix it up and I try not to get too locked into any specific formula because I think that uh, I like to mix it up. Five Guys has a hot dog? Yes, it's interesting and it's quite good. And they fry it, they slice it down the middle, you know, and they fry it on, on the, the grill. grill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very good. Very good. I mean, I never get it because I like their burgers enough that I don't want a hot dog when sure. I go there. But that's exactly why I tried it. And uh, sometimes I find these things. I like to also find things and tell people about them, like that Santa Fe chicken sandwich. Been on the menu right. for at least 20 years. It never, they never advertise it. And I, it's one of my favorite things in all of fast food. That's where that came from. And the same with the Jack, Jack of the Box onion rings, which is the, the second one in that series. 
I never tried them till last year, but I can't believe they're so much better than every other fast food onion ring. So that was why I wanted to tell people about that. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting because I, I um, w- when you start talking about the Santa Fe chicken sandwich, and, and I should say to to our hardcore foodies, listen to the podcast. We're going to get to Portland's specific places. Yes, in of course. A minute. We're, we're talking all about fast food, but I I think I'm much like you, where like I, when I reached the point where I could buy food for myself. Um, Bill, when I got into my older teens and I had a job, I, I would tend to go to, to the fast food places and, and my, my body paid for it. That's what I can't figure out is, is the amount of, of junk food I'm doing quotation marks again, um, that I, that I see you consuming bill. Uh, how are you not 700 pounds? That's a commonly asked question. And the funny thing is I actually don't eat much better than that when I'm not on camera either. I tend to eat a lot of frozen pizzas and things of that nature. And the, honestly, I think the solution is, the thing is, first of all, I don't eat fast food for every meal. I only eat it about once a week, but I'm not eating that healthy to begin with. So, but I do also go to the gym every day. Uh, and I don't, I don't eat a lot of, if I don't like it, the thing, I don't eat very much. You don't finish I think it. Is the thing. Yeah. yeah. And that for, certainly for all the fast food you see on camera, I never finish that stuff unless I am loving it. Um, and so, and I, I don't, but there are other things. There are plenty of other pizzas and local things I love, and I eat. Yeah, every I have a hard time not finishing the things that I eat locally for lunch. You know, every day, and then I get all tired in the afternoon. So, um, anyway, yes, I, I do exercise every day, and I don't eat. I also don't drink. I don't drink a lot of soda and things like that. I, I don't. You know, I try to. I'm very conscious of my calories right. and how they're apportioned. Like when I go, I, I'm a famous advocate for not getting French fries. I don't like French fries enough to have the calories, it, the same amount of calories you can get another hamburger. Oh, so sure. when I go to, a, when I go to McDonald's, um, if I'm hungry, I will get two burgers rather than the burger and the fries. I never get things that I don't, I think I'm going to love. I, uh, um, I, I got COVID last year. I'm going to be completely honest with Bill. When I got COVID last year, I lost my sense of smell. And when it came back, um, it's kind of thrown off my sense of smell so mm. that anything that's been toasted burnt heated up where it's where you get a little browning on it mm-hmm. has this kind of this i don't know this funk to it and it, it eventually goes away but i found that the primary offender is french fries and i love french fries um but um i guess maybe that's the the one benefit i'll get out of this is that it'll shy me away from from eating french fries but you're you're making a more uh, purposeful decision not to eat french fries which is just go for something better that it probably less less calories. Um, I do like that they have the calories on the menu. And I think that's a great innovation of the past decade is, you know, that you have a general idea and I don't want to, I don't want to load up on calories. I also don't like to eat too much at any one sitting either because, you know, then you get tired. I like to feel, I like to have my, <laughs> my full faculties. I don't want to be all filled with meat sweats and stuff. And I'll, <laughs> I like yeah. to be, you know, alert. Which is a, a very real thing. Hey, Chris, let's pause a moment and talk about Oregon Dungeness Crab. It's a favorite dish at holiday gatherings, special occasions, or just when you're in the mood for the sweet, delicate deliciousness you can only get from Oregon's tastiest crustacean. It's harvested sustainably from Oregon's cold, clean coastal waters and is available now at your favorite seafood retailer or restaurant. Oregon Dungeness serves up equally as an appetizer or an entree and lends itself to both down home and white tablecloth cuisine. And it's also as nutritious as it is tasty. We know it's tasty. A three ounce portion of cooked meat has 19 grams of protein and contains important minerals and amino acids. It's low in both fat and calories as well as cholesterol and carbohydrates. That's important to me. Yeah. And rest assured, the fishermen are not just delivering a delicious and healthy product. They're also taking care of natural resources for future generations. Visit OregonDungeness.org for information on preparing your favorite crab dish and learning more about the fleet. So go ahead and crack the mystique. Oregon Dungeness Crab, the flavor of Oregon. So let's let's talk about specific Portland food that maybe still be considered fast food or, or from some from some of the food trucks um, because you know they, they are serving a lot of the items that you would get through your local fast food joint. Oh yeah, do you? And they're so you, much better. Uh, and, and and I don't want to necessarily. Do you have if if you've got friends coming to Portland and they're not going to go to a sit down restaurant? 
but but they're asking maybe about the food trucks. What places are you telling them about? And I know that's probably a, a broad question, and you'll probably least leave some of them out. But do you have some go tos that you always recommend, or that you yourself? Oh my god, yes, yes, I do. I have dozens of them. I literally could go on for hours and hours and hours. Um, and I, if I omit anyone from this, please forgive me because I know that there's so many ones that I that I love. Uh, yeah, you know, I would say the one particular place that I happen to like. Uh, a lot is Jojo, Jojo PDX, which is at that cart pod at 36th and Powell. And they have a lot of, uh, their chicken sandwich is probably the best in town or tied with it from a basilisk. Uh, they have a lot of other delicious items too. their burgers, their Jojos. And they often have specials. Like they had one, uh, Artie Buco that was, I guess, Sopranos inspired. One of the best sandwiches I ever ate. They always have terrific stuff there right next to it. There's two other ones. This is my, the pod that I really like because there's two other great places. There's Bark City Barbecue right next to it, like 10 feet away. And there's Matt and Mamers, which is a New Orleans cart, which I also love, also 10 feet away. So when I go there, it's very hard for me to decide. Matt and Mamers has great po'boys, fried alligator bites, green fried green tomato po'boy. I love them so much. Um, so like, but again, I have 50 or 60 such places. That would right. be, that's what kind of a one-stop shopping place. But I also like the, um, that's uh, the, the core uh, food cart pod at uh, 82nd near the Walmart 82nd Summit Shack is there they make some of the best food in town the sandwiches there their chicken parmesan is one of the best things I've ever had fried pickles best I've ever had in, in the universe and there's a number of other carts there that have been have kind of come and gone recently but that's my favorite there um, as far as uh, burgers Sure Shot I love Sure Shot we just did our first Steam Ham Society special with we'll get to that I assume we'll get to that in a moment yep, yep. the um uh, Farmer and the Beast hit the spot. Um, uh, 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 and I, I'm forgetting a lot of other ones, but there's so many, and not all of them are carts either. You know, like I, um, but those I'd say those are the carts. Like I actually tend to eat mostly at food carts and sit down in terms of sit down restaurants, like or cafes. I love Portland. I love the Bon Me at Portland Cafe on Gladstone. Mm-hmm. It, it totally blows me away. I love that place. Um, I love the. Um, Oh my god! And there's a new. I can't talk. I can't say what it is, but it's. Oh, when is this coming out? Uh, I, I think in two weeks. Okay, it, uh, it should so, be open by then. Tito's okay. Taquitos. Tito's Taquitos was named one of the best food carts, like in 2020 or 2019. That it vanished. It's back at a location in Southwest. I went there to a preview this week. Best Mexican food I've ever had in Portland. Incredibly good. Um, I, I, I can't wait to direct people there when the embargo was lifted on on, on whatever we're, we're waiting for. Um, so that's just a couple of it. And there's pizza, there's pizza places, man. Like I, there's so many, I got it. I have favorites in every category with regards to pizza. Um, and I have also favorite sit down restaurants like Laurel horse market. If I was going to have a, have somebody who wanted to come have a nice sit down meal, uh, in kind of a, a fancier setting, it would be Laurel horse market, which I love. I've been there many times. I take this one, you know, people come to town who want a nice dinner. That's when I, I go there, um, for more a casual kind of sit down place, tulip shop tavern has, the best onion rings in town, possibly the best fries in town, uh, as well as a, a, a excellent burgers and other specials that they've had repeatedly, like the Reuben and the chopped cheese sandwich. Um, they keep they keep hitting it out of the park with, with some of the stuff they're introducing there to a shop tulip shop. So, so definitely not a uh, a lack of of uh, inspiration. With, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm assuming you probably, if somebody asks where they should go, you try to figure out what they're what they're into. I have um, a list. I have a email. People ask me almost every week, and I have a yeah. list of stuff. Um, some of it is from that Eater article, but and I again, I'm sorry to anyone who, who I've omitted because I can't keep them all in my head at one time. But uh, there, I do. I have a list, and I have to sort of narrow down what they want. Do they want indoor dining? They want a food cart. Do they want have a certain genre? Of, uh, right. that they want to eat because we have such like the, I don't have to tell people who live here or listen to this podcast this is the best food city ever you can have one of the best meals of your life three times a day here if you just know where to look sure and, and kind of to your point if you if you find the right uh, food pod you know where you've got multiple carts in there that you you know discover great things at um, I, I'm out here kind of in the burbs on on the west side so and, and Beaverton actually has um, yes that not, R, RB the R, Rose Biggie food pod that's amazing yeah it's and it's it, i mean it, you could you could spend all day there if you wanted to, they kind of just create this great ambiance avenue st charles is there that's another uh, new orleans place i love is that pod too avenue st charles and right. there's other ones there that have come and gone but um 
uh, I can't wait to go back out there again and and try it. They've got they've got a wide selection of great places there. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, we've I've hinted on it. You've hinted on it. Let's talk about the uh, Steamed Ham Society, um, which again spurs from this uh, classic uh, Simpsons episode uh, where uh, Principal Skinner is having Superintendent Chalmers over for dinner and ends up screwing up dinner. And at, at one point, steamed burgers is no steamed ham is served. Well, no, no burgers. Bur- hamburgers that he buys from the fast food place from, are served from crusty, and he claims yeah, that they're called word. steamed hams but that's yeah. a regional expression he just digs himself deeper with all these lies yeah so the phrase steamed hams and it's also become it's gone far beyond the simpsons it, be- it was the internet meme of the year for 2018 people remix it and all this stuff and i'm very I'm flattered that it's my thing that they're doing that with anyway it's the most one of the most well-known things about the simpsons so what little cap what little i can do to capitalize on that i do and because Simpsons people have there's a lot of simpsons fans out there so I name my things after it in generally. So Steamed Ham Society is a club. It's basically, it's a club. It's, it's a club that is handled by Patreon that I'm doing where people, it's for people who are interested in food, the kind of food I cover. You know, I feel like we have, let me, the, in the broadest terms, people who like high-end food have the Michelin Guide and they have the Zigat Guide and that kind of thing. But this doesn't really exist for the kind of food that I, I deal in. And it's also heavily it's crowdsourced. So a lot of times when I people are recommending stuff to me, it's not just again, it's not just fast food. It's snacks, it's pizzas, it's mail order food, uh, it's all sorts of stuff. It's kind of a giant national clearinghouse for information about this type of food, and and also for people who are interested in it. Um, so you know, a good example is like. Oprah has this thing every year where it's like her favorite things, and like Oprah picks, for instance, some kind of caramels, and becomes her. It explodes, becomes nationally famous because she's picked it. I feel like we should be doing that, me and the members of the Steamed Ham Society, for the things we like. And and there's no reason that we have to listen to what Oprah says we should eat or what Jenna Bush says <laughs> we should read. She has a book club, apparently. Um, I feel like we, sh- me and these uh, and the other members, should share this information uh, and you know, and kind of like, it's a community, basically. So we have a Discord server. I wasn't even familiar with Discord, which is incredibly active of just all sorts of stuff all day long, recommendations for stuff, recipes, restaurants and stuff. Um, we also have, then there's benefits with each, by the way, if you're interested in this, go to steamedhamssociety.com and you'll find out the information. We have, there's a number of levels of membership. Uh, even at the lowest, you get access to all this, the Discord, my monthly food roundup guide. And then as you get, uh, you go up in the levels, you get more. There's merchandise. We have stickers. We have T-shirts. We have a monthly Zoom. And then at the highest level, which is very expensive only for people who got a lot of disposable income, uh, is a level where you get to have a private Zoom with me and we, and we talk about food stuff, as well as I'm shipping you a box of my favorite snacks that I found in the past couple months every quarter. So that's like um, – that because a lot of time and effort for me, so that's why it's expensive. And there's only a few people. There's a limit to how many people can be in that. But anyway – it's basically just a big club for people who are interested in, again, comfort food. I can't find the right term for it, but it's kind of like that kind of food uh, that we all that a lot of us really like that is not covered by things like the Zagat Guide <laughs> and and Michelin stars. Yeah, no, I I, I think the uh, society, which is there in the name, is 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 what it is. It's it's kind of, it's a special club. It's a society. It's not a fraternity because everybody can join. Um, yeah. I would love it if we could, for instance, hopefully a couple years from now. There'll be enough members and we'll have enough leverage to say, Taco Bell, we want you to bring the double decker taco back and then they'll bring it back. Like, oh, that's sure. the, I want to be able to move the markets and I want to, be, yeah, and then we can yeah. get, get arrested for insider trading when I give something a bad review <laughs> and, 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 and I tell members beforehand to sell their stock at McDonald's because it's going to drop 10% that, when I give them a the bad le- review. That's the level you're hoping for is the, yes, the uh, right. Ele- that I have to go to, to jail do things illegal. for moving the markets. Nice. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting you mentioned, um, uh, Oprah's list. And in fact, it, it's even more interesting that you went very specific to caramels. So uh, I, I work in radio and my very first boss, my first program director quit radio because his wife is Polish and started making these uh, gourmet nougats and, and caramels and that she would give to us for, for Christmas and holidays. And she, I can't, I can't remember how it happened, but they end up ended up in Oprah's hands somehow and they ended up on oprah's list and literally the 
company exploded to the point where my boss said, I'm, I'm out of radio. See you guys later. And they've been running this successful car wow. nougat company for, for some time. Um, I'll, I'll have to get you some bill. Cause they, they are truly the, like the best. I would but, love to try them, but, but I think that's hopefully, kinda, I'm gonna, hopefully Oprah, you know, Oprah's not going to be talking about what, but the best flavor of Cheetos that you can buy from Canada and have shipped. That's going to be coming from me. So hopefully right. I'm going to supplant Oprah for that type of thing. <laughs> So again, uh, the, the steamed ham society.com, that's the website. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's where people can go to, to find out more about this. So where oh, are you? So the special, oh, let me go say, ahead. the other thing that yes. the other important thing to say is that one thing that just kind of recently occurred to me as, as this thing went on was like, Hey, we should have special, special secret menu items for our members. And this just started this week. Uh, this thing has only been around for less than three weeks. So, uh, the other benefit is that there are secret menu items and hopefully they're going to be all over the country at some point. Now we're starting in Portland. We just had our very first one at SureShot, which as I said, is one of my favorite burger places ever is doing a special that ends today uh, where there's a secret menu item that was created just for the members of the steamed ham society. And you won't, you wouldn't know about it unless you were a member because there's, it's not, it doesn't appear on the list. It's not, it's not listed on their, on their menu. All that, all that you know is that there's a sticker with, uh, with our logo on it. So, you know, to ask for it. So, um, and, and, and I, I've, I've seen you reenact a, a scenario where you walk yes. up and you, you flash a badge and you're, you're suddenly getting this off menu item. Um, no, I, I think that's great. I mean, the, the off menu, uh, you know, the, the secret menu type stuff, you know, it's not necessarily anything new, but to have it be part of a, a, a society, I, I think it's really great because a, you're going to get something you can't normally order and you're out there, you know, supporting the, the local community. Um, I think it's also like, shop. I like, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. It, it, this, I can just say that this was, this is already far. The sure shot experiment has already far exceeded our, our expectations because there aren't even that many members at the, uh, right. this thing yet. And, but I think that almost, it appears that almost every single one of the ones in Portland has turned out for this and gone back multiple times. So uh, it is like, and also people go, they bring their friends, they order additional things. And so it just, it drives traffic to the restaurant and it doesn't cost the restaurant anything. Um, you know, as opposed to some of these other things like Portland Burger Week, where you've got to pay 500 bucks to be listed in Portland right. Burger Week. Um, this is, is purely, and the, and the restaurant can make up whatever item they want to have to be the special item. So I'm trying not to get in the way. I'm trying to help restaurants or places out by getting traffic over there without yeah. causing them any additional cost or agony during this especially crazy time. It's it's uh, for the, just for the basic the love of, of good food is what it's coming down yeah. to. Yeah. Hey, Chris, we are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Hey, Court, I know you love the hats, and I kind of do too. I always have a hat on. Mm-hmm. For the first time in Ringside's 79-year history, you can get a hat, T-shirt, even an apron for your favorite Ringside fan. Those are available in person on West Burnside. Go to when you, while you're eating, ask for them, or just stop in after what four thirty, I guess. Yeah, this is really exciting for me, Chris. We were talking about this off air, and when you told me this news, I got really excited because uh, a few years ago, I noticed somebody back of house at Ringside wearing a really cool Ringside T-shirt, and I thought. I would like one of those, but you know, it's ringside steakhouse. You wouldn't necessarily think to go there and buy a t-shirt. Now you can first time in 79 years. This is exciting. This yeah. should, this should be headline in the New York times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so take advantage of that. Also take advantage of the three course prime rib dinner that takes place on Mondays. You, you've done this. Oh yes. And it used to be Wednesday. So be aware. Cause I yeah. had a friend join me for dinner once and she was expecting Wednesday night prime rib not happening. So, yeah. um, but they do have it available outside of the special on weekends as well. So you can get prime rib with their unbelievable Yorkshire pudding. Um, on those nights but the special is monday night that's the night to do it i was there last night wednesday night it was packed so um but i wasn't packed to the point where you couldn't walk around in the uh the hostess host section but it was it was nicely packed and of course we had an incredible including a, a meal including the wagyu which anybody has to do once at least in their lifetime or more once you do it once you want to do it more and i have uh, don't forget right now because it is dungeness crab season you right now on the menu in the in the appetizer section the chili lime dungeness crab cake so get that while you can or the crab cocktail was unbelievable so 
I suggest anybody there, if if you're going with the table, get the crab cocktail and the prawn cocktail and have a, start your meal off the right way, including onion rings, of course. Oh, yeah. Got to do, do that. Got to do that, too. So also, one quick thing, because we've been talking a little bit here. Halibut season starts May 10th, and Ringside will have that on the menu made Chef Jonathan Gill's way after that. So mark that on your calendar and make a reservation. You can do it at ringsidesteakhouse.com or on the Open Table app. When it comes to the snacks, um, that, that you have been, and, and I've seen some of your, I, I think I've seen some of the reviews on, I, I can't remember if they were like the Japanese snacks or whatnot. What, how are you sourcing those? Are people sending these to you or are you actively yes. looking for them? Both, both. Um, you, uh, you, I mean, you listeners can't see, but you can. This is some of the yeah. snacks behind me here. <laughs> on, I have so many snacks here. Um, people, there's a couple different ways that I get them. Most commonly is that people mail me them. People mail me snacks from all over the world. There's snacks here just behind me. There's snacks from Australia, from England, from Ireland, um, and, uh, a lot from Canada and, uh, so forth. So people are generally very generous wanting me to try their local potatoes, chips or whatever they, whatever specialty, these candies from Rochester, New York that are famous, there's all sorts of stuff like this that I get. Uh, and it's just civilians mailing me this stuff. Then uh, also occasionally a company will mail me stuff and say, hey, would you give this, would you give our potato chips a try? Would you give our pralines a try? And I say, of course. And then I post, you know, photos about them. Um, and then, uh, you know, once in a while I get some ex- really excited. I get some, a big company is also like, would you try our thing? Uh, and that, that only happens somewhat infrequently. So that's how I get the stuff. I also order it if sometimes, especially on our Discord, Steamed Ham Society Discord has really rocketed my like knowledge of this stuff up. Like this stuff, these almonds, these Korean almonds uh, that I just started trying a couple weeks ago, like blew me away. And people, I learned about them from people of the Steamed Ham Society and I ordered them online. Uh, my family kind of has our own version of what you're doing, which is we take a trip to the local grocery outlet. I'm not sure if you got an out, uh, grocery outlet. Oh yeah. I love that place. Because oftentimes it's just very random things that you haven't seen or know that have fallen off a truck and for some reason they can't sell them. I love it. And find some real finds there. You you can, and some really bizarre stuff like, uh, food mixed with other food that you would never think to mix together. I, I can't think of a good example right now, but uh, we've put together some some pretty creative meals just simply by walking through our grocery outlet. Um, but it sounds like yours is more more of an internet. Well, actually, I got to be honest. I, I've seen stuff that yes, yeah, stuff that they get in there that's like Canadian or stuff that's like it feels like it's from a different country because it's got some some uh, terminology on it that I don't. Yeah, don't or it's test marketed and some, once in a while you can find that stuff at Dollar Tree as well. Like sure, a, a flavor of barbecue sauce. Like I remember getting finding the Guinness beer barbecue sauce. That was like uh, uh, that I had never seen fr- from a uh, famous whatever it is, uh, one of those big barbecue sauce companies. Uh, but it was like there, there's stuff that failed. There was test marketed and failed right. that you can find there. That is always a, a, a treat to see. Have you found um, in your in your in the snacking the stuff you've seen that you have coming in that's maybe regional or from different countries? Have you been surprised by some of the snacks that you you know that you you enjoy? I'm like, oh hey, I didn't realize maybe Japan has such a great snacking whatever and the stuff is really have you been able to you know centralize or not centralize but oh yeah I mean I'm not I asking the question very well here Bill you know but I think you know what I'm saying like countries that have kind of surprised you like hey this place has some really good snacks well number one Canada I mean like Canada's potato chip game is so much better than ours across the board the oh, yeah. flavors of the potato chips are so good they're so much richer they're so much more intense uh and they have such a wide variety of ones that we don't get here i mean sometimes we do say we do get a small brands like zaps or whatever or local brands uh, like tim's you will see that kind of thing here but in general canada's potato chip game is way better than ours across the board um in terms of the stuff that i like at least um also the, there is like you know, there's different types of stuff like J- Japan. I'd say in Japan, cheese is very different than it is here. And this is something I've only gra- gradually figured out. Like, che- like America, cheese is like a thing that you put in your hamburger. You know, cheese, cheese, cheese is everywhere. In Japan, it, it, from what I gather, cheese is seen as more as a, of a dessert type thing. They don't have a lot of cheese on stuff. And the cheese is often sweet, sweeter. So when you get like, there's a lot of Japanese Cheetos and things. 
they're always a little bit sweet, which is very strange to me when they have, you know, the, their cheese things often tend to be more dessert-like uh, to me. So I've been surprised by that. Um, I've also seen some great potato chips from China um, where they've had some, you can get these actually in Portland, you know, there's a couple of different, like there's 99 Ranch Market, there's the right. Asian Family Market in Beaverton. You can go out there and even H-Mart sometimes, you find uh, some incredibly delicious, uh, very unusual flavors of chips that you would never see you know that a lot of them have seafood things a squid flavor and things like that yep um so those are some of the just some of the broad strokes of things i've found yeah that, that was that when I, I was describing um grocery outlet that h mart is the exact same thing where you walk through there and there's shrimp puffs which are yeah. actually re- relatively delicious they're they're pretty good so bill I, I i gotta say i really appreciate your time i could talk to you about uh this all day long. You did ask the question, I think it was on Instagram and I'm going to give you my response here. And I think this might be for one of your calming food reviews, Yes, a, a fast food item that is underappreciated or, and the backstory on this is, so I, my background is in radio. I've done morning radio, all sorts of different radio. So like 15 years ago, I was on the air and I can't remember why, but I made a pretty bold statement and I, and I still stand behind it is that the filet fish is one of the most underappreciated sandwiches of all time. And listeners at the time came out of the woodworks in support or in like it just upset with me that I would ever say the filet fish is one of the, cause I, I think my opinion has changed on that in the 15 year since, but I think my vote might still for you for your purposes is the filet fish. I'm not sure how you feel about it. The filet fish. I'm not sure the last time you actually had one. I but. feel, I think I had one a few months ago. I would, my response would be, I feel it's adequately appreciated. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it's, that it's, it's appreciated. It's pretty good. It's appreciated as a pretty good item. Like the other, the other places have brought their fish game way up in the past sure. decade. Like Arby's in particular, the crispy fish sandwiches are out of this world. Um, as as Popeyes and even Wendy's to some extent, but but yes, you're, I mean that that remains a classic, and it's the only one that still has a piece of cheese on it. I think, and right. like I, I like it a lot. I often get it. I have, when, sometimes I pull up at that drive-through, and I'm like, I have a I have a craving, a sudden craving for a fillet of fish, and I agree, it has a flavor combination you don't find in any of those other fish sandwiches that just hits the spot sometimes. I took my uh, my fourteen year old to Arby's the other day for the first. I'm I'm sure we had taken her to Arby's before, but it, it, there seems to be a lack of Arby's restaurants in the Portland yes. metro area. Yes, yes, right. I can't tell you how how much I would love it if someone would build an Arby's that wasn't so far out <laughs> into the suburbs. Yeah. yeah, in fact, the one nearest to our house. Um, when because we we moved here to Portland in 2011, the one nearest our house is now a Starbucks, and um. Uh, you know, and it, it, I get I, I, apparently not enough people supporting it at the time. But anyway, I took my 14 year old to the, through the Arby's and I, I got a little bit overwhelmed by just the sheer amount of stuff they have on their menu. There's like, they, like it, it's no longer just roast beef sandwiches anymore there, which used to, that was their bread and butter. It's and real it's hard like, to make up my mind at Arby's. I agree. I like, there's so many things I want to try there and they have like six different areas, just six different types of food. Yeah. Like the sliders, the market fresh sandwiches and, and, uh, and the roast beef section as well. But like, yes, you're right. And I really like, I would say almost everything I've had at Arby's that I really like. I'm, they're, they're, they're good. Yeah. 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 The, the market fresh sandwich, for whatever reason, there was a period when those first came out they they have the bacon ranch sandwich, which I, yeah. it's, that's been always my go-to, but we were going there specifically because they were advertising, I think the euros at the time. And my 14 year old had never had a, a euro, which again, I think she had. But for some for some reason, we said, "Well, I'll take it Arby's and we'll try a Euro." <laughs> we we have since corrected that and taken her to an actual Euro cart here in in Portland to make sure she got a more authentic Euro. Okay, good. Experience. I still have to try that. Somebody four, three years ago sent me five dollars to go try the Arby's Euro, and I still have it sitting right here, and I haven't done it yet. So it's earmark, maybe I- earmarked for that. All right, Bill. So again, steamedhamsociety.com is the website where people can go and learn more about the society and decide if they want to join. In terms of uh, social media, where can people find you? That Bill Oakley, uh, O-A-K-L-E-Y, that Bill Oakley on Instagram and on Twitter. Food stuff is on Instagram. Twitter is a variety of different stuff. But, um, you know, check, check out the Instagram and uh, check out and, and you'll, there'll be links to Steamed Ham Society there. You'll see. And it's also for people who aren't that familiar with Instagram. I generally do the videos on my main page, but there's also the Instagram story, which is a different type of thing. Uh, and that I have, I have content every day, often several times a day about snacks, 
and about local places too. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff even just up today about uh, all sorts of different stuff. So check out the story too. If you if you're a, a, a low usage Instagram member, you might have to get used to using an Instagram story. Sure. And, and I should point out that if people, uh, watch, uh, the, what is it? The food that made America on the history channel, the they may occasionally America. see you. Yeah. That, that, yes. That's right. I, I'm, on, I'm on about two time, about a minute, maybe a minute total per episode. They usually have about 20 X. By the way, this is a great show. If you're interested in food history and chain food, it's always, it's a great, well put together show that they make very dramatic <laughs> like oh, man. The battle between McDonald's and Burger King between Popeye's and, and, and KFC, et cetera. And they, they interview a lot of different experts. And I'm just one of like 25 different ones that they rotate through. But I assume yeah. you've seen it. Yeah, but Adam Richmond seems to get a lot of FaceTime there. I though. think he I must th- own the show. I think he, he's either owned the show or they decided that people love him on that yeah. network. So that they, they he's on the show. But yeah, he tends to dominate the, <laughs> the conversation. Does. Yeah, you know, t- to your point, um, that the episode about KFC was just fascinating because of the, the Dave Thomas from Wendy's part yeah. that I had, that I had no idea Neither. about and, and the drama that was kind of involved in all of that. What I was disappointed about though, Bill, and I know I, we were just wrapping up, uh, was that they didn't talk about. So I grew up in, in Utah, uh, not far from Salt Lake city and Salt Lake city has claimed to the quote world's first KFC. They were the first one of these cafes that bought the, the, uh, Kentucky fried chicken franchise franchise from Harlan. Harlan, Oh, wow. uh, Sanders. Sanders. Yeah. And so uh, they have claim. And and in fact, I don't know if there's a funny story, but it was, but it was very much that story of a, a restaurant, an existing restaurant that served Kentucky fried chicken. My parents, when they got married, their wedding dinner was at this Harmon's cafe, Kentucky fried chicken. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, and in, in the sixties, and you know, but they're like, no, oh, it was fancier then. It had cloth, you know, cloth napkins, and it was a sit-down restaurant. They've since torn that building down, and it's just a straight-up, uh, you know, KFC now. But uh, uh, they didn't address that at all, and I was a little disappointed. But I, you know, there was a bigger you. story. There was a bigger story to be told. Uh, well, cool, Bill. I appreciate it, and uh, you know, maybe down the road as the society, the steamed ham society, grows and grows, we can have you back and talk about more about what's going on. I would be thrilled. Thank you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right